So Money episode 1280, Cindy Zuniga Sanchez, founder of Zero Based Budget. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. My aha moment was really when I realized after year one, Farnoosh, I paid $24,000, obviously, right? 12 months times $2,000 minimum payment. I paid $24,000 to my student loans. $4,000 went to the principal. $20,000 went to the interest. That to me was my aha moment. It was more of my aha moment for I need to get financially literate. Our guest today wiped out over $200,000 worth of debt in a very short period of time. Welcome to So Money. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. It's great to have you here. Our guest is Cindy Zuniga Sanchez. She is the founder of Zero Based Budget, where she is committed to helping millennial women, particularly women of color, create a realistic money plan to achieve financial freedom. And her strategy is a personal one. After graduating from law school in 2015 with $215,000 worth of debt, Cindy committed committed to becoming financially literate and taking control of her finances. In 2018, she launched her social media account on Instagram, Zero Based Budget, to document her debt payoff journey and simplify personal finance concepts. She was still an attorney and on the side, sharing her financial narrative. Fast forward to today, she is debt-free, she has set aside her law profession, and she is going full steam ahead with Zero Based Budget, a community of tens of thousands of followers. Cindy speaks annually to thousands and coaches hundreds on budgeting, saving, debt payoff, investing, and building generational wealth. She's been featured in Forbes, Good Morning America, The Rachel Ray Show. Cindy shares the step-by-step of how she got out of that six figures worth of debt, the importance of giving back as a daughter of immigrants, and much more. Here's Cindy Zuniga Sanchez. Cindy Zuniga Sanchez, welcome to So Money, zero-based budget. I love it. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you, Varnoosh. Once in a while, it's important to uh, touch base with a real life story, somebody who triumphantly conquered hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. It may seem impossible. You did it in about two years. Uh, Four years. Four years. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Two years would have been great, but no, it was four years. (laughs) Well, still a triumph. And we should say most of this was law student debt, law school debt. A lot of people still saddled with way too much debt, whether you went to law school or business school or medical school, or even just got like an MFA in creative writing, you know, which doesn't nearly pay what lawyers earn. But let's maybe start... From the beginning, Cindy, you born and raised in the Bronx for a woman to leave the Bronx to go to law school, daughter of immigrants, pretty spectacular and everybody was proud. Tell us what drew you to that. I mean, I have the very typical daughter of immigrants story. You know, my parents were born in, uh, my mom was born in Ecuador. My dad was born in Honduras. So both Latin American immigrants that came searching for the American dream, right? The very typical story of we're going to go to New York City, we're going to work hard. And always their vision for the way out of poverty was education. That was a non-negotiable. 
And so what they did invest in, you know, my parents didn't invest in much, you know, in terms of like stocks and, you know, what we typically think of investments in our time, but they invested in our education. And so we were, uh, you know, my sisters and I were raised in a very low income community in the Bronx and uh, our public schools, unfortunately, weren't the best. And so where my parents invested was our education. They sent us to private schools, uh, well, Catholic schools here in our neighborhood because they really wanted us to get the best possible education as, as you know, that that was available to them. And so going from all of that, you know, from uh, Catholic private school in, in the Bronx to then college, you know, I thought, well, I want to be a doctor, right? Like who doesn't want, what child of immigrants doesn't want to be a doctor to make their parents, you know, really happy? And then I realized I can't see blood. That's not, you know, <laughs> That's not available to me. <laughs> so I quickly decided in college, you know, an internship at a hospital, that's just not going to happen. Uh, so what's the next best thing? Law. And, you know, that's really how I stumbled upon the legal profession. But ironically enough, uh, you know, people, they think I went to law school because I wanted to be an attorney. Uh, I actually didn't. I went to law school because I wanted to be a politician. I wanted mm -hmm. to run for office and I wanted to be the first Latina U.S. senator. Uh, thankfully, we do have our first U.S. Latina senator who is from Nevada. Uh, she won several years ago. And, uh, you know, um, uh, Catherine Matos. So, so, you know, that's that's amazing that we have that. But, um, you know, I, I, I digress. Uh, that's the reason why I wanted to go to law school, because I wanted to run for office. But then, you know, I went to law school. I decided to attend and uh, I realized that there was just this whole other world you know, available to me uh, with a legal degree. And one of those was to go into private practice, to go into corporate law and to go into litigation, which is actually what I wound up doing. So even though I didn't get to check off the, my daughter's a doctor box, you know, for my parents, uh, my parents were able to say, well, my daughter's a lawyer. And like, exactly. my parents they could, very, very, you know, they and were everybody very understands the work and the, the yeah. smarts that go into becoming a lawyer and then the success, the financial success. However, speaking of financials, this was not a, an inexpensive route, right? It was hundreds of thousands of dollars. Why did you think it was okay to spend that much money on a law degree? And what were the conversations maybe you had or didn't have with your family ahead of that? We, we knew that the only way that that was going to happen, you know, obtaining a law, a law degree was scholarships and debt. Like that was the only way, you know, we didn't have any money saved for college or, you know, even more so for law school, which is way more expensive than college. I went to a public university here in New York. And so, uh, you know, I graduated undergrad with only about $10,000 of debt. So not not a lot when we're thinking, you know, comparatively. Uh, but then to go into law school, I was, in a, I was going to take on a lot of debt. And it's funny because people look at how much debt I took on and they don't realize that I actually was given a half tuition scholarship to law school. Wow. And even with that, I still had that much debt. And so, you know, the way the conversations looked like was a, a conversation of, of acceptance, you know, acknowledgement, just knowing that that was going to be the cost associated with the degree, but knowing that that investment would be worth it. It would be worth it because I wanted to pursue, you know, especially once I was in law school, I knew that I wanted to pursue a lucrative career in the law. And thankfully, I was able to do that. I was able to go to law school, get connected, get the grades needed to land a job at a top law firm in the city. And, and that's what I did. I won't say, however, though, that going to law school is always worth it. 
because that would be a lie. <laughs> that would be a lie. You know, I was really passionate about what I wanted to do, what kind of law I wanted to practice, you know, once I got that exposure to the different types of fields that I can go into. And so I will say that for me, it definitely paid off financially, but also, you know, the important part that we also do need to discuss is just the fact that I will always have my law degree. I will always be a lawyer, you know, well, a practicing attorney, if, if, if I keep my certifications up and, and all of that, I, I will always have that. And I think that that's something that's invaluable. But I will say that it, there is a high cost associated, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for, for law school. And for me, yeah, you know, like you mentioned, I, I graduated law school with over $200,000 of debt and 90% of my debt was strictly law school. Right. And that was much better because you had gotten scholarships and other sorts of free money. So like $200,000, which is a small mortgage in this country. You said that you fell in love or you kind of looked at corporate law as a path out. That seems to be kind of the only lucrative path. Like if you want to be a nonprofit attorney, if you want to work in government as an attorney, not as lucrative, like taking out hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt, that calculus it doesn't work, at least not in the short run. Yeah, going into the public sector, I will say is something that, at least for my friends, because I have plenty of friends that are in the public sector, they're in public defenders offices, DA's offices, uh, you know, other parts of government, nonprofits. And for them, really, the biggest opportunity there is the public service loan forgiveness program. Like that is what they're counting on, like wholeheartedly. And that is what while we were in law school, that is what they very specifically said is the reason why they're pursuing those paths, it's because of, you know, this promise of, of public service loan forgiveness, you know, and I mean, it's uh, obviously there are many mixed opinions on that. What I personally think it's a very flawed program, which I hope works. It should work. It's supposed to work. But yeah, I mean, in terms of like, well, how are your friends that are in public service dealing with it? That's how. Yeah. Something on that program. Along the way, you decided that you wanted to be aggressive about getting out of debt. What was that moment? And at that point, were you considering continuing to stay in the law field or were you looking at maybe an avenue out? Like once I'm debt free, I'm going to get out of this. So very quickly, I realized that, you know, just a couple months after I graduated law school, that I was on at least a 10 year path to repay my student loans. My minimum payment was $2,000, you know, after graduating, I thought to myself, okay, so I have to do $2,000 a month for the next 10 years in order to repay my debt. So if you're doing the math, that's about $240,000 just on my law school loan. So I decided to refinance. My aha moment was really when I realized after year one, Farnoosh, I paid $24,000, obviously, right? 12 months times $2,000 minimum payment. I paid $24,000 to my student loans. $4,000 went to the principal. $20,000 went to the interest. That to me was my aha moment. It was more of my aha moment for I need to get financially literate. Not just I need to do something about this debt, but I need to do something about money. Like you see, I had my, my law degree, right. Uh, very prestigious, very shiny, all great on paper, but I didn't know the first thing about money. I didn't really know how to manage my six figure salary as a corporate lawyer. I did not know how to manage my six figure debt. (laughs) 
you know, as a, a, someone who had just graduated from law school. And so for me, that was the critical moment when I realized just how much money I had been paying towards interest that I realized I need to get my financial house in order. I decided to refinance my student loans. For me, that was the right reason, just because I knew I was going to stay in the private sector. Uh, and to be perfectly candid, I had envisioned staying in the private sector for a very long time. Um, and, and you know, I was very happy. I was happy at my job. I was happy at my firm. Uh, but, you know, after six years, I left. I left in May 2021. Uh, because I wanted to pursue my business, you know, pursue what I had created along the way, which kind of just came about very organically. It's not something I necessarily wanted to create as a business. It's just something that I used as an opportunity to share my story, you know, and share how me, the mm -hmm. daughter of immigrants from a low neighbor, low income neighborhood in the Bronx managed to, you know, uh, not just pay off my debt, but become financially literate. And so uh, I did leave eventually. I did leave my firm after six years, but that was not at all, you know, the motivation for wanting to get out of debt was, well, I just want to leave my firm. Now, that is the motivation for many. For me personally, uh, it wasn't. Uh, the true motivation behind my wanting to get out of debt was being able to support my family, you know, being able to you know, not throw all these payments at my student loans, but rather being able to cover my parents' cable bill, being able to cover my parents' uh, medical bill if they needed, or just, you know, their emergency flight to, to Ecuador to see my, uh, you know, my uncle that's having health issues, which is exactly what I did just a couple months ago, right? Like that, that was the real fuel mm -hmm. to my uh, wanting to get out of debt. You've touched on so many important points here, everything from the way you prioritize your money, which we don't talk a lot about how a lot of times children of immigrants behind the scenes, they're supporting family, not something that uh, the average yeah. person necessarily has to do or wants to do. And um, you also talked about this sort of accidental falling into this new career path of being a voice for people and an educator on personal finance. Going back to though, how you got out of debt, that $2,000 a month payment, even on a six figure salary living in New York, I know that that is difficult and probably exceeded your rent. Uh, I'm going to guess, oh. right? Oh, yeah. Your most expensive oh, yeah. bill every month. How did you scrounge together the money and how did you level up? Like you were obviously, you're doing much more than 2000 a month. For me, I, I really had to sit down and create a very detailed budget. Like I know, you know, people, they hate the word, right? It's like, oh my gosh, it's so restrictive. It's so boring. We don't want to talk about budgeting. But the truth is that is how I did it. I needed to sit down and look at my monthly income and realize, okay, where is all of my money going? And I realized that I was doing a lot of frivolous spending, but you know what, 26 year old isn't guilty of doing that. And I realized I just needed to create a plan for it. You know, exactly how much am I going to be able to throw to my debt? How much extra can I throw to my debt? I am a big fan of the Credit Karma debt repayment calculator. Uh, Nerd Wallet also has a really good, you know, kind of comparison tool where you can uh, calculate how much faster you can get out of debt if you throw, let's say, an additional. $200 payment to your credit cards, for example. And I think that's a really helpful resource uh, that I used along the way. I, I encourage my, my community to use it as well. And, uh, you know, that's what I did. I looked at, okay, where is all of my money going? Most of my money was going to my student loans. I mean, I'd say easily 50% of my monthly net income 
was going to my student loans, my tax refunds, my bonuses. You know, my bonuses were pretty healthy. You know, sometimes I had, well, after taxes, right? Because bonuses get taxed quite significantly. After taxes, I would easily get, you know, $10,000 where somebody else could be like, oh, wow, I'm going to spend this elsewhere. And I would throw that to my student mm-hmm. loans. Uh, pay increases throughout the four years that was that I was paying off my debt, I was still living off of less than my first year associate salary. So I was a fourth year associate living on less than a first year associate salary because everything extra I was aggressively throwing to my debt. So really what it came down to the two big core elements was a careful and thoughtful monthly money plan and those additional payments. Must have been hard, though. I can only imagine temptations lurking all over New York City. How did your friends and family, I mean, did you involve them in this? Because I think you need sometimes that that rallying behind you. Yeah, I did. You know, I told my parents what I was doing. I told my my sisters, my friends, and thankfully everyone was really understanding. And even living here in New York City, uh, my friends, they never hesitated when I would say like, hey, can we do this like really low cost performance, you know, instead of going to maybe a higher, more, you know, a higher ticket item or, you know, for restaurants. Um, I was a big fan of like New York City Restaurant Week, you know, where you could do like the $30 special and get like a really nice meal at a restaurant and instead of spending potentially hundreds of dollars. And so, you know, I was just very open. I was very open about it. And I found that with me being open about my own story, even though my friends weren't doing it, my family surely wasn't doing it, uh, that it, that kind of invited people mm-hmm. to tell me about their own stories and about what they were dealing with when it comes to money, because everyone is. Everyone is. And especially where I was in life, where a lot of my friends were recently graduating from medical school, from law school, other grad school programs. And we were all kind of in this weird stage of life where it's like, okay, we have like our big girl job now, but we also have a ton of debt and we live in one of the highest cost of living cities in America. And so I think that, you know, we had this, this silence that was kind of occurring when it came to money. And when I spoke about it and just very honestly, I think that just invited, you know, the opportunity for conversations, which I think was a relief for a lot of people. Yes. And I'm sure it kept you a little bit more accountable to your own goals because you're putting it out there. Did you have to sacrifice investing or saving during these four years? Did you stop that? And if you did stop investing, do you wish you hadn't? Because maybe the returns would have been greater than the interest on the loans. So my first two years of repaying my debt, I wasn't investing because I didn't know what investing was. Honestly, like I I was not investing in anything. I had gotten paperwork saying about this is your 401k. And I was like, I don't know what those letters mean. I'm not interested. <laughs> you know, those letters and numbers, I'm, I have no idea what that is. And I, I, you know, it's not like my dad or mom was saying, you know, hey, like, this is what you need to invest in. No, I, I wasn't having those conversations. And so that's the reason why I wasn't investing. It wasn't until I stumbled upon the personal finance community, you know, when I decided to refinance my student loans, which was in year two of, uh, you know, repaying my debt, that I realized, oh, wait, this is really important. I should prioritize this. And so in uh, year three of repaying my, my loans, 
is when I did decide to open my 401k. And I decided to, I actually decided to max it out. I, that was a big priority for me. I was like, okay, yeah, this is it. I'm going to make it work. I know my paychecks are going to be a little smaller, but it's okay. I'm going to just, I'm going to be strict. I'm going to be very intentional with my money. And I was, I was on a very, very strict budget as in like, you know, $50 for personal spending. And as I'm inching closer to that, you know, by the end of the month, well, then no one invite me anywhere because I'm just not doing things. Yeah. And look, I understand some people could be like, oh, wow, that's really restrictive. But I was just really passionate about getting that loan balance down, uh, investing, you know, like th- that's something that I was going to prioritize. Um, and I was I was saving. I will say that I was I was saving just from early on because I knew that I needed to have something to fall on just in case. Uh, but investing. Yeah, that's the reason why I started, you know, a little more into my repayment journey is just because I didn't know anything about it, you know, at least for the first fair. Years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then you started zero-based budget, which you started as a way to, as you described, document your own journey, bring others along, initially just an audience of friends and family. Now it's got, you know, tens of thousands, if not more, people coming to you on Instagram and your website and you speak and all the things. When did you decide that that was the new frontier for you and that you were going to put the law career aside? You know, so I, I started ZBB because I had friends and family that were just approaching me like, hey, can you help me with my budget? I want to pay off my credit card. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I, I wasn't charging them anything. Like this isn't something that I wanted to, you know, start as a business. I never considered myself an entrepreneur. I was very happy working for someone else. I truly, you know, I know that's controversial, especially in this society where we praise entrepreneurship and, you know, be your own boss. I was like, I'm very happy working for someone else, actually. And I truly was. Uh, but then, you know, I, I started realizing, I think it was in 2019, uh, which is when I officially filed for my LLC, that this this could be something that could be very helpful to my community. You know, my community mainly is comprised of uh, millennial women, um, but specifically millennial women of color, you know, and that was always very important for me to be able to talk directly to my community. And uh, I was like, yeah, sure. I'll help out with their budget. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll look at how things are going. You know, uh, they share with me their numbers of like their debt numbers and things like that. And so I was doing that on the weekends. I'd do like one or two, you know, one-on-one coaching sessions. Uh, and then little by little school, started inviting me, you know, they had heard of me because of my social media, or, uh, you know, I had a Good Morning America featured my story when I paid off my debt and uh, other publications started featuring my story as well. And so then we had, you know, uh, organizations, universities requesting that I come to speak to their students, uh, to their employees, because I, the way I speak about money is very authentic to just me to how I learned about it, to how how I wish someone had taught me about money. And I realized early this year in 2021, uh, you know, I, I, I realized that there's a lot that I have to say, and there is a big community that I want to serve. And it was still is probably one of the hardest decisions I made in my life to leave my law firm to pursue my business. Uh, because I mean, for many reasons, it was incredibly scary. Uh, financially, I mean, I, you know, my, my pay went from, um, let's just say from a lot to very, very little. Okay. You know, and it was just, the whole idea was scary, but the idea of growing 
and growing in a way that would benefit my community was what excited me. And that's ultimately what just gave me the nudge to go for it. Did you have savings? What was your financial runway when you decided to quit? Yeah. So um, yeah, I'll give actually specifics. So I had what I called a sabbatical fund. I saved money in a sabbatical fund, which I could draw on monthly for at least a year. It would be enough to cover me for at least a year uh, in terms of like, if your business doesn't make anything, could you at least send me from your part? You know, I live with my husband and so we uh, definitely share in our in, in all of our expenses. But, you know, I still want to be able to contribute my part for rent, groceries, utilities, etc. And so that is what I saved for. I saved separately, you know, a sabbatical fund in terms of health insurance, which is obviously a very popular question that I get. You know, thankfully, uh, I was put on my husband's health insurance. Uh, I already had we already have kind of like our family emergency emergency fund, which is like a separate, completely savings fund. Uh, and I did make sure to max out my 401k for 2021. Uh, by the time I left my firm in May, I made sure that, you know, I, I maxed it out because I wanted to at least have that. And yeah, I think those are probably like the few things that I looked at. Um, in terms of for my actual business itself, I looked at how much have I brought in? How much can I reasonably expect to bring in like the lowest reasonable amount? And would that, is that sustainable? You know, so I looked at various things to be very honest, you know, I mean, last year, my rev, my business revenue was about $40,000, uh, which I was super proud of. I was just like, wow, this is amazing, you know, and, uh, you know, year to date, I've uh, more than tripled it, you know, and so that's just like the little things that I'm realizing that, you know, if you put your time, your effort into it, you'll watch it grow, you'll watch it scale, it's easy to compare to other, you know, other entrepreneurs in the space, right? But, you know, I'm kind of doing it on my terms. And so I'm happy with the very happy with the growth that I've been able to uh, have this year so far. And, you know, we'll see what next year brings. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm just glad you didn't start this like pre-pandemic only because then maybe you would have been discouraged. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine starting a business in February of 2020? And had everything and canceled. Unless you were in like yeah. the food services, online yeah. food services business or something or yeah. healthcare, yeah. Uh, this is uh, your moment, you know, to really get out there. And, and it's nice to see that the community is getting bigger as far as thought leaders and experts from all walks of life. Yeah. I always say the more, the merrier, the more important because yep. uh, to your point, it's not about what's the definition of a 401k. You can Google that. Right. It is who is telling me this story? Yeah. Who am I being inspired by? Yeah. You see someone like you doing it, then maybe it gives you the inspiration and the the okay to go ahead and follow in your footsteps. We do things because we see others who look like us, who remind us of ourselves. That's why we're inspired. What are your parents thinking? Are they bummed yeah, <laughs> a little bit? I <laughs> I, My parents to this day don't know really how to tell people what I do. So I, I was honestly, I was very, very nervous to tell my parents. I, I cried, of course, you know, I cried when I told them just because I felt like, I felt like, am I letting them down? You know, am I kind of killing this part of their dream? And thankfully my parents are my biggest supporters. 
You know, anytime I'm featured in an article on any type of media segment, uh, just I'll send them screenshots of my flyers for my events, you know, like my master classes or workshops. And they, you know, they save it onto their camera and they send it to their family and friends, you know, like they're so proud. And I think they're they're really they're happy that I'm happy, you know, like they're happy that I'm happy and thriving where I am. And they know that, you know, I, I'm still a lawyer. I still have my degree. You know, I have not abandoned the legal profession completely. I know a lot of people, they ask me that, like, do you see yourself returning to practice? And the answer is yes, actually. You know, I, I loved practicing law and I loved advocating for my clients and I knew I was a, a great advocate for them. And the representation also of Latinas in the legal field is, is severely lacking. Uh, so being able to be a part of that is great too. But for me, for right now, for this chapter of my story, uh, this is where I'm able to thrive. And so I'm going to just, you know, go for it and to be able to have my family support, even though sometimes it's a little hard for me to explain, right? Like social media to them and speaking, virtual speaking engagements. It's a little hard for me to explain sometimes, uh, but they know that I'm excited doing it. So you know, they're happy. And I've been featured in Spanish media as well, like Telemundo. And they're like, oh, like, this is great. She's speaking in Spanish and she's talking about money. She's representing us. Oh, wow. So that's also been really uh, impactful. Well, they are obviously so proud. And I'm proud of you. Can I say that? It's so heartwarming to see that you are thriving and you personally have been successful and you're helping so many other women be successful. Cindy Zuniga Sanchez, thank you so much. Everybody, the website is zero-basebudget.com. You have a ton of followers on social media. I'm going to have to take you to lunch so you can tell me how you're doing that because that's something that I need I to learn. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Farnoosh. I appreciate it. Thanks so much to Cindy for joining us. Check out zero-basedbudget.com, her website, and on Instagram at zero-basedbudget. Send me your questions for Friday's episode of Ask Farnoosh. It's not too late. Direct message me on Instagram or email me farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope your day is so money. So money.